0: Welcome to Inside the Path to Success podcast, brought to you by Opulus, where you go behind the scenes with financial planners Ryan Greiser and Fran Walsh to hear stories about how leading entrepreneurs, millennials, professional athletes, and coaches navigate the natural challenges that arise on the path to success and how to advance to the next level. And now, here are your hosts from Opulus, Ryan Greiser and Fran Walsh.
1: Welcome to another episode of Inside the Path to Success podcast, uh, keeping up with our financial series here. Today, we're going to be talking all things indexing. Uh, you know What is it? What are some of the major things that you need to know about it? And then how does it apply to both the uh, traditional and the digital asset marketplace? So, uh, Ryan, let's just get started. What what in a very broad-based level is indexing?
0: Yeah. So, let, let's dive into this with our, a definition from our good friends at Investopedia. So, Indexing is a market index of a hypothetical portfolio investment holdings that represent a segment of the financial markets. The calculation of the index value comes from the prices of the underlying holdings. Some indexes have values based upon market capitalization or the size of the company. Revenue weighting, floating weighting, and fundamental weighting. Weighting is a method of adjusting the individual impact of an item in an index. So to give a perfect example, everyone's heard of the NASDAQ, the Dow Jones, the S&P 500. So the S&P 500, for example, is a culmination in an index of the 500, and really it's 502 for whatever reason, right? The 500 largest companies here in the United States. And it's based upon the market capitalization of that company. In other words, Apple has a larger weighting in the S and P 500 index than a smaller company, say like Starbucks, for example, that represents a smaller portion of that index. Yep.
1: Okay, so you know, let's kind of go into what are the major indexes, real quick, for those that might know. Like you mentioned, you got the Nasdaq, the Dow Jones, and the uh, S and P 500. You just kind of briefly touched on the S and P 500, but just for those who don't know, the Dow Jones. Different, obviously, from the S&P 500, which is made up of 500 of the largest companies in the U.S., the Dow Jones is just 30 of what we would call blue chip companies, meaning they're very large, just like the S&P 500, but they've usually been around for a very long time. Dow Jones does a good job of basically tracking the overall market, very similar to the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is kind of the gold standard, though, when it comes to uh, tracking how overall U.S. equities are doing. The Nasdaq, on the other hand, is made up of over three thousand companies on the Nasdaq Exchange, and you know they are a very tech-based sector, uh, which can mean typically what you'll find is that the Nasdaq may be a bit more volatile, as tech companies tend to be more volatile. Whereas the S&P 500 is typically, you know. The middle range, whereas the Dow will tend to have less fluctuations, as they are typically known as the "quote unquote" blue chip stocks that don't, you know, have the volatile swings that some of the tech and uh, you know other kinds of sectors may have.
0: Yeah, and the Dow Jones has had a tendency to be more what they call value oriented, more established companies, more dividend paying, and more value oriented. Where the Nasdaq tech is more growth. Oriented for that, and the S and P five hundred is more like the gold standard of how is the U.S. economy doing because it's a little bit combination of everything, right? You got growth, you got value, you got core. It's a better representation and more consistent uh, along the way than what we see during market fluctuations. Absolutely,
1: you know. So one of the things we hear a lot of people say is like, "Hey." If you want to do well in the stock market, just buy the indexes, yeah. hold long term. Um, so let's dive a little bit into how has indexing performed over time if you simply you know, buy and hold these indexes. Here's some stats over the last 10 years of performance. So this is from May 21st of 2012 to May 25th of just yesterday. Uh, we're recording today on the 26th. The NASDAQ has performed Oh, a total of 302% for an average of 30.8% a year. The Dow Jones has performed 157%, obviously an average of 15.7%. And the S&P 500 has totaled 201% for an average of 20.1%. Obviously seems amazing, right? You yeah. look at those kinds of returns, that's more than what the average person would expect. We have had a crazy bull run over these last 10 years, so that is a one caveat to that, but you know, as as far as history has shown us, you know, holding the indexes long term has proven to be a favorable strategy. Now let's talk about the downs from the all time highs that we saw back in uh, you know early to mid November. The Nasdaq is down twenty nine point five percent as of today. The Dow Jones is down thirteen point one percent, and the S and P five hundred is down seventeen point five percent. Now, on paper, this might look you know, really bad. A lot of people are freaking yeah. out about the economy. They're freaking out about inflation, a war in Russia, looming in a recession. You know, there's all this bad news, all these headlines out there. But let's kind of dive into real quick the actual stats behind how different is this year from every other year uh, for the last, you know, 20 years, right? From back, all the way going back to 2000. So we just talked about the crazy bull run we've had, right? So people, in theory, have thought, oh, it's all good. It's all good. Here are the entry-year declines of the S&P 500. So keep in mind, as of this year, uh, we're down 17.5%. Over the last 22 years, the entry-year declines have been 17%, 21%, 34%, 14%, 8%. 7, 8, 10, 49%, obviously, in 2008, 28%, 16, 19, 10, 6, 7, 12, 11, 20, 34, 5. You get the point. Obviously, this year, with all the bad news, it's still in line with what the typical well, entry year seen. decline yep. has been. Um, in fact, you know, over those last 20, 21 years, the S&P 500 has declined eight times worse than it is today. Yep. Um, Which just goes to show, you know, you can't just listen to the media. Don't let it get into your head, all the emotions that come inside with investing. You know, this is nothing out of the overall, you know, what's expected and what's ordinary for our general markets.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to see that through all the noise that's out there, the data is fairly consistent. It's a different problem, different issues, but we go through these same cycles, still an emotionally tolling time. Right, for everybody that has money invested, no one ever likes to lose, but it's part of the process, yeah, so
1: you know, right, so with all that being said, right, you talk about how how well indexing has done over time, One of the big questions we always get is, you know what's the difference between just buying the index funds? And active management, um, you know, what are the pros and cons of each? And, you know, w- w- what's the argument to be made for for active management?
0: Yeah, well, the goal of passive management is just to buy the index. So yeah. if you want exposure to the largest sector of uh, the, the U.S. economy, you can buy the S&P 500 index, get your U.S. exposure off to the races do the same thing internationally. You can buy a passive index of international companies and own them all. Now, active management funds the goal is different. It's to try to outperform its benchmark. So take the S&P 500, for example, the largest 500 companies in the US. If I am a US large capitalization active manager, my goal is to try to pick those companies within the S&P 500 so I can outperform the general index. That's the goal. Right Now, the strategy is to use the managers or the management teams' deep knowledge in the US markets, for this example, to outperform that. They use the research, quant, whatever it might be their strategy is that they're marketing to outperform and do a better job of picking those stocks than just owning a little bit of everything. So here's the risk, though. We rely on the portfolio manager to outperform that. Right so there's management risk right that key individual are they making sound decisions and is it just one person making those decisions is it an entire team we're relying that they are picking the right stocks so there's individual stock risk that we pick up with that as well so you know and there's additional management fees yep. so compared to just replicating an index like the S&P 500 which takes Very little skill, really none. You just got to be able to read the 500 companies, (laughs) represent their weighting. You know, there's additional costs and fees that go into having active management because there's additional research. We got to pay more people typically, all that stuff. So, you know, now we're kind of stacking. Not only do we need to outperform the index, but the active management fees are usually an additional half a percent to a full percent above to get exposure to those funds. So now not only do we have to outperform the index, but we got to outperform by 1% just to break even. And then an additional 1% on top of that to do it. So you're starting to stack the odds against you slowly but surely. And some Vanguard uh, research specifically show that over a 10-year period of time, 75 to 80% the passive approach or the indexing strategy outperforms an active manager. It's crazy. Right? So now year by year might be different, right? So you might have a rock star that does good for a year, two or three, but it shows over a 10-year period. And for the majority of the people we talked to, they're looking to invest for 10 years, right? So short term, a manager can do very well. Uh, But statistically, over time, because of stock risk, because of management team risk, and because of higher fees associated with the exchange-traded funds or the mutual funds that are actively managed, they don't perform quite as well. Now, obviously, this is a financial advice, but for my own personal portfolios and our client portfolios, we want to stack the odds in our favor as much as possible. Maybe it's not the absolute best performing manager each and every year, year in, year out, but it's really, really hard to find. And I don't know anyone that has picked the top manager to get active exposure each and every year by swapping in and out of a portfolio. So it's extremely difficult right, to do. You're looking at people that are are doing this 60 hours a week, full-time jobs, and no one has ever been able to successfully be the number one active manager year in and year out over an extended period of time. So not that it can't work. It's just extremely, extremely difficult to maintain it over a long-term time horizon. Absolutely.
1: And you know, like I remember, I don't remember his name, but there's one guy who did it two years in a row. And I remember that was like, he was like the best performing manager two years in a row. And that was like a huge deal, yeah, which kind yeah, of goes yeah. to your point <laughs> yeah. that like, it is really hard to be a extremely high performing manager year in and year out and do it consistently, you know, over a ten year window.
0: Yeah. And that's just looking at maybe one sector like the, the the US. Yep. Right. Or one allocation, asset class, excuse me, not sector, an asset class like the US. Now you gotta do that internationally. Now you got to do it for bonds. Now you got to do it for alternatives. You got to pick that best manager out of what, 10,000, 15,000 available funds. It's just very, 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 very difficult to get all the research that you need to to find the Best active manager that's there. So yeah, in that case, why stack the odds against yourself when the data kind of just says, "Hey, a passive approach to getting your asset class allocation to U.S. international and bonds is is your best bet." Now, with that said, active managers have a, a bigger favor internationally or in alternatives than they do like the, the U.S. economy, yeah. for example. So yeah, a lot of more details we could dive into, but but broad based approach. We love low cost, broad based exposure to an asset class to stack the odds in our favor to get the best attractive results in the top quartile, right over a three, five, ten year period of time. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit. Let's shift gears here. Obviously, we've we've touched a little bit on, you know, how indexing works in the overall, you know, U.S. economy, the stock market as a whole. Let's talk a little bit about crypto. Can you apply these same types of strategies? to the digital asset space, or is it just a completely different ballgame?
0: Yeah, absolutely, you can. Right? So here's what we know about about crypto and digital assets is it is a young and emerging asset class. Right? Some research from Grayscale shows that we're probably in the mid-90s in the valuation cycle of crypto. If we think back to the mid-90s, you know where we were then, right? Dial up internet. You can't be on the phone at the same time. You're waiting for things to load forever. Think about how far we've come. That's what research has shown is where we are at in the crypto space with blockchain technology. So because of that, talking about what we just mentioned with active managers, you got management team risk, individual stock risk, or in this case, individual crypto risk, and then uh, your fees that are associated with this. So we believe that having a broad-based exposure to a lot of crypto projects can be is possible right and can be a fantastic approach because we know that some of these are going to go to zero which you're going to talk about Terra and luna here in a minute which literally went to zero within about a day or two yep right so if if you have all of your money in one project that you feel great about and then it just doesn't work out That's specific crypto risk that you're taking compared to owning 5, 10, 15, 20 different crypto assets. We don't want any of them to go to zero. But if they happen to, okay, one did. I got my other 19. I got my other 14 that still have an opportunity to have dramatic upside potential. So we can take the same Approach of having broad based exposure in traditional finance as we can in crypto world and digital assets to have broad based exposure as well to mitigate our risk from individual tokens and also have exposure towards the future. Absolutely. And, you know,
1: here's why indexing is even more important, I think, in the crypto space is because we know. That some of these tokens are going to go to zero, right? When you like we talked in our last podcast about, hey, if you looked at the the top ten of market cap five years ago, some of them aren't even around anymore, right? So we know these things are going to happen. So let's talk about Luna and, and UST. Um, a lot of people have asked me, have been asking us questions about this to so just touch up on it real quick. Um, so basically, Luna and UST. Were one, like they were at top five or top 10 depending on the day um, project in terms of total market cap in the crypto space. There's upwards of 40 billion dollars uh, depending on the price action uh, between these two assets. Essentially, they were making some sort of shift with their liquidity pools, uh, a group of individuals or you know some suspect it might have been a, a large institution kind of suspected what was going to happen. They found a flaw in the system. They were basically able to short and attack the overall system. Luna and UST end up going into an absolute death spiral at the same time because they rely on each other. So if one starts spiraling out of control, the other absolutely does the same. So... Luna goes from being worth somewhere between 90 and $110 per coin, depending on the day, to as of today, we sit, are sitting at 0.0001, no. right? So that is a 99.99999% yeah. loss. This is the equivalent of losing $40 billion in market cap in a matter of three days. It is equivalent of thinking about, think about if Adidas, Honda, Volvo, or Chipotle they're all forty billion dollars worth of market cap. Imagine if they all went out of business in three days. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's insane. You drive right? around anywhere, you see those, you see yeah. those stores everywhere. Imagine three days worthless, completely
0: worthless, out of business. Yeah. Um, and just to be clear, when we say forty billion dollars in market cap, specifically with Terra and uh, and UST and Luna, that's how much money people had invested, in it and the value at its peak, just yeah. like the value of. Adidas, Chipotle is $40 billion as a whole, as a company. That's what market cap means. Correct.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, you know, what's the lesson to be learned here? One of the big problems in crypto is you hear about these, they're called maxis is yeah. the term for them. They're maximalists. People, what they do is they find a project, they get emotionally attached to it, they fall in love with it, uh, and then what they do, they go all in on it, right? Sometimes you see this in the stock market, not as much, mm-hmm. but you see a lot of people who are maxis when it comes to Tesla or Apple. Like yeah. They just go all in on one company, they just believe in it, they love it so much, but what do we learn from this? Never have all your b- eggs in one basket. You never know what's going to happen. This was the absolute worst case scenario. So when people say, what's the worst that could happen? Now we mm, know. This it is it. It could literally go to zero. <laughs> a top five market cap coin can go to zero. It has happened now. Who knows if it'll happen again? Like, But now we know. To Basically, it's a good story to tell people. Yep. Like, hey, here is the true risk associated with doing something like this. So um, really sad. Feel bad for like all the people who lost a ton of money. They do have some sort of plan in place to try to reconcile and try to, you know, get people some sort of value back. Who knows what's gonna happen? It'll
0: Yeah, there's some airdrops coming yeah. right tomorrow, May 27th, to to try to make people partially whole. Will it be worth something? Will it be worthless? Time will tell. Yeah.
1: But um, you know, it's a good lesson though. Don't ever have your eggs all in one basket. Diversify, diversify, diversify. And uh try to expose yourself to, you know the least amount of risk as possible while still trying to capture as much of the upside as you can.
0: Yeah. My key takeaway on that event specifically is that we can apply the exact same fundamentals that we have in portfolio management and traditional finance on the crypto and digital assets side, right? Is keep your fees as low as possible, spread out to an indexing approach across multiple projects and multiple crypto assets to mitigate your risk at broad base exposure towards those assets that are critical today to the ecosystem or that can help it flourish in the future as we look to capture this upside potential that is in the crypto market yeah
1: absolutely all right so let's wrap up right you know overall thoughts on indexing Positive, negative, do we love it?
0: Love it. Yep. Right. So so it's at the core of our portfolio management uh, philosophy. That's there. Not that there's not an active space or there's not value that can be brought by active, but if we want to stack things in our favor as much as possible, we love the low cost, passive index and express to get exposure towards an asset class and listen we have the research on ten thousand different fund options thousands of different separately managed accounts and we look at all these active managers that are there time after time after time over a three five ten year period they're trailing their passive benchmark that's there so stack the odds in your favor yep
1: all right well thanks for tuning in guys hope you enjoy and uh we'll be back in probably a week or so cool
0: if you want even more insights on the path to success, follow Ryan and Fran at Opulous LLC on Instagram and Facebook, or check us out on the web at www.opulus.us Lastly, the content of this podcast is not to be viewed as personal investment, legal, or tax advice. You should always consult with a professional advisor before implementing any topics discussed.